You're listening to Branch Out by Sycamore. You're right, it's not going back. And people that, like, in the past had a urinary tract infection, they would get in their car, drive to the ER, sit in the waiting room on average for two hours, get back, sit another half an hour to see a doctor, get their urine, wait another hour for that to come back, come back and say, yes, okay, you actually know what you're talking about. You do have a UTI. Here's a prescription. And here, get your bill for $2,000 and go home. Now, call call Tele XYZ and say, hey, I have a UTI. Okay, do you have this, this, and this? I've had it before. I know I have blah, blah, blah. What's your pharmacy? Boom. Two minutes later, they're on their way to the pharmacy to pick up their medicine. And they're like, oh my God, it's a miracle. I'm Larson Hicks, CEO of Sycamore. And welcome to Branch Out, where I chat with healthcare professionals about broad-reaching topics like their careers in medicine, hobbies and pursuits outside the hospital, and everything in between. So it's great to have you on on uh, Sycamore's Branch Out podcast, Dr. Michael Jaffe. In case, uh, in case you're listening to, to uh, this podcast for the first time, um, Sycamore's uh, Branch Out podcast are our... The reason we do this is our company is really interested in physician independence and autonomy and just giving physicians more control over their careers so that they can have the work-life balance that's right for them and their family and, and, and accomplish the things they want to in their life. And and so we think a, a, a world where more physicians are independent um, is going to be a better world and it's going to be a better healthcare system. So um, we love hearing stories about physicians who have kind of taken – taken the less uh, traveled path and tried different things and explored and built built uh, built different careers for themselves outside of maybe the norm and so um, we know that that's a that's a, a big part of your story so we're eager to, to talk with you and to uh, to hear about your um, about how you've kind of approached your career so welcome to welcome again all right thanks Larson yeah so you are where where are you currently Asheville North Carolina Okay, great. Beautiful part of the world. Love Asheville. That's that's um that's kind of my wife and I's go to if we've got a few days to get away and go do something. We live in Huntsville, Alabama. Get up out of the, you know, out of the uh oppressive heat and uh and uh and sticky, you know, summers out here and go up into the mountains. That's the place to go for us. Nice. Well, we just uh, just opened an Airbnb down the hill from our house on our property. So let me know and when lovely. you're coming to town. I'll send you the yes. link. Yes. Well, she was just talking about how we want to do we want to do that again sometime soon. And I said we got to look up Dr. Jaffe because we are uh, we are both frisbee golf players. Play some golf. And play some golf. Yeah. Yes, I'm thinking I might I could have a buddy to go throw some discs with. Sounds great. Show me, show me the ropes. Yeah, sure. So, what's that? I said sure. I'm still amateur though, so staying in the amateur. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, same here, man. For sure. I've I've, I've got no uh, that I've I've got a long, long, long way to go before I I'd, I'd have any chance at, at being anything but an amateur. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's such a fun pastime. We we'll we'll have to get deeper into that. I do want to hear. Just at the top of the call, I think this is this is important, and uh, just kind of for framing up sort of the discussion. I I love to hear 
how different physicians think about their calling uh, in medicine. And, and, and I guess maybe an, a way to ask the question is, is what do you think is the, is the purpose of a physician? Okay, nothing like a, 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 narrow, a nice narrow question there. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, definitely not a narrow question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's going to really depend on the physician themselves. It's going to be tailored to each individual what they what they want to bring to the table and what they want to get out of it. For me personally, um, what I bring to the table, at least what I had been doing for 25 years, was emergency emergency medicine in kind of small to medium facilities, mostly nights. But I brought kind of a skill set that was just really efficient and was able to just multitask and get get pe- people moving through the system and deal with the intensity and the multitasking and um, that's what I brought to the table and what I what I got out of it as far as it's really just providing service and and getting people seen quickly and giving them good quality of care and moving people through and not having them wait a long time and go through a bunch of unnecessary tests. And I really, I really saw a little bit of an evolution though, from when I first started out, I was a super minimalist and I would like hardly order anything. They don't need that. They don't need that. I can tell that's not going on. And just over the decades, I gradually like, well, okay, I guess I did miss that little thing. I guess I will order this now on everybody and just gradually increase my, Work up. I still, I think, is well. I'm well below the curve as far as a generalized. When I look at stats of how many CTs per physician ordered and all that stuff, I'm still way near the bottom. But I'm, I'm a lot. I'm doing a lot more than I used to do when I would hardly do anything. <laughs> Just look at them and. How did? Why did you make that shift? What do you think is? Has it just been administration at the hospitals have just beat you down over the years, or what? What's what's kind of led you to that that um that shift? Gradually, you know, over the decades, there was surprises like, oh, I really didn't think that was going on. And then it was, and it's like, okay, I guess, you know, it's worth ordering that extra test for the one in 5,000 people that are going to come back positive for it and not miss something, you know, because really, at least in emergency medicine, that's the goal is like, don't miss anything bad. The rest of it, the rest of it doesn't really matter. How long it takes to see people, how much stuff you order that might be unnecessary, how much it all costs, all that secondary to the safety net of like, don't miss something bad. Yes. Yes. So, so, you know, your, your specialty, your focus all these years has, has been almost exclusively emergency medicine. And, and I guess, so when you think about, you know, and again, I know this is a really general question, but 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 how how do you think how do you think most people think about medicine when they're going into it? You know, from the from the get go. I mean, and, and I'd love to hear kind of your story. So, how, how did you find your way into medical school? What was it that drew you to to uh, this field? I can remember I was in high school. I was uh, living in 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 Garmisch in Germany in the Alps and. I was on the ski patrol. I was on the ski patrol and I was in, in high school. So like 17, 18 and just having that kind of a combination of having the ability to really be able to do something, um, you know, worthwhile and like make a real difference. You know, here's somebody that's in real problem and they broke their leg. They're on the slope, being able to deal with them and, intervene in a way that's really meaningful and, and make a difference that's that 
is as fundamental as it gets people's health that's it so that was kind of i thought that's always going to be needed and that's always going to be satisfying so i kind of told myself put the time in early do a bunch of school get the skills and get that done early and build a kind of a foundation for a career and kind of just i kind of that was from high school kind of went from there yeah i think i think a doctor would be a good thing to do so yeah and then and then what what was the um what was the point at which you realized was it was it was it emergency medicine from the get-go or or how did you kind of find your way to to, to em no it was i was doing a for initially i was going to do some international medicine my goal was to just do a because i had traveled a lot and i had plans actually to go move to india and start a clinic there after having traveled there and set up a set up an import export business from this little village that made handicrafts and kind of use that to, f to fund the, fund the clinic. And I was going to just get a general practice, just a one year internship and then start this clinic going. And then I met my wife and we took a trip to India. She goes, before I agree to move here, I need to go look at it. And she kind of vetoed, vetoed that pretty quickly when people oh, were no. <laughs> defecating in the streets next to walking by. It's like, eh, I don't think I want to raise, I don't think I want to raise, raise kids here. So then I, yeah, so I then I kind of focused on the family practice um, career, and I did a residency. And then second year in, I started doing moonlighting in the ER while a resident, and it was like just it just stuck. It's like the freedom, the independence, the the flexibility to leave and make your own schedule month to month without a practice with thousands of patients depending on you. To, you can maybe take two weeks, but just the flexibility and the stimulus of, of working on, you know, in the, in the ER with the, with the stimulation and the challenges of that, it just kind of, it kind of took to me or I took to it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're, you're a, a bit of a, a dreamer, right? And you're also an adventurer and you like, you know, as a, as a skier, you definitely have a thing for probably a little bit of adrenaline. You sure. didn't, I didn't hear how you ended up in the Alps. How did, how were you in the Alps? As a ski patrol guy, that sounds like a pretty sweet gig. Um, well, my 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 dad and his his wife moved to Europe while I was kind of in my middle years there, and um, they were living in Switzerland. And I went to visit them on a summer break and just stayed. And then over the next five or six years, I kind of moved back and forth between Switzerland and Germany and L.A., where my mom was, and then wound up going to school in Munich. And we lived in Gar Garmisch, which is a ski resort. It's about an hour south of Munich and wound up going to living in the ski resort, traveling to Munich. To It was an hour and a half bus ride for high school every day back and forth. So, but it was 10 minutes to the slopes. So it was a good, it was a good trade off. That's worth it. Yes, for sure. That's amazing. I grew up in, um, in the Southwest in El Paso, Texas, which which is kind of out there in the middle of nowhere, but, but, um, but we were only about three hours from Rio Doce, New Mexico, which has a, a nice little ski hill. And then we would drive up to, uh, to, to, Den to Colorado every summer to ski at, at usually places like Breckenridge and Vail and not and a lot of snow in the places. summer. Not well, a lot of snow in the summer. No, that's right. You yeah, went in the right. summer. You went to skiing in the summer up there. Is that what you said? No, 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 no. Not in, not in, uh, not in New Mexico. No. Oh, okay. But you, you, the, yeah. I mean, El Paso itself sits at like four thousand feet somewhere around there, and then 
you drive up to Ritos, New Mexico, and and you ascend. I don't know how many thousands of feet, but it's it's definitely a, a much higher elevation. And then you got Taos, New Mexico, which has got some really great skiing. And so we 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 did quite a bit growing up. And I I think the last time I went skiing was the last time my dad paid for it. <laughs> and then I had to start paying for it myself. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm. I'm as into this as I was. What did I just hear? Like a walk-up day ticket at Squaw now is two forty. Unbelievable! Just unbelievable! I can't even. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's not even just like inflation. I mean, that's 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 legitimately much more expensive. Well, and the you know we were always you know a big family, so a lot of hand-me-downs. My dad would always buy the equipment because we'd make it through multiple kids and. And, uh, that sort of thing. So I, ha- I had boots and skis, uh, when I went off to college, but it just, yeah, never, never, never found the time, uh, or the money to, to go off and do it much my, my, on my own. But I, I do, I do miss it. It's such a, such a wonderful, what's well, such a fun thing to do. So, so, uh, yeah, it's that right mix of, of really challenging athletically, you know, but also, beautiful and um and thrilling you know adrenaline rush i mean it's all of those things okay so let's fast forward um i'm interested so where where in there we we share a love for frisbee golf when did you start when did you start frisbee golfing that's an important piece or disc golfing is it is it an anathema for me to call it frisbee golfing well it's a little, a little bit a little bit a little bit a little bit <laughs> i called it froth for years Sure, sure, froth, froth, frisbee golf. Um, I started in 1984, so that's 37 years ago, and that was really just casually. I I remember I used to play catch with friends, frisbee late at night, just like back and forth. How how many times can you go without having taking a step to catch it? Just like, and that was you know that was in high school, and then I remember looking at college brochure where I went to was looking at colleges in California and it said frisbee golf course on campus and I was like frisbee golf course what is that I never heard I'd never heard of that I'm like all right maybe I'll go there (laughs) so I went to UCI which is University of California Irvine for nine years all the way through undergrad and med school and they had a 36 or now it's, I think it's a 72 hole course on the middle of, there's a big park in the middle of the campus. That's a object course. It's like a, um, on light poles with pieces of tape, concrete poles. You just have to hit the pole, not, not any baskets, but that's where I, that's where I grew up hitting the poles. And I, uh, moved into my brother's trailer. He had a trailer and the, there was an on-campus trailer park in Irvine, which, was just so sweet. I mean, it was, you're living in Orange County and they had, there were two budgets for, for, for financial aid on campus and off campus. And they all were, you know, per the usual apartment rates and everything, but they had this little known camp, not a campground, but a trailer park on campus. That was when I moved in in seven, in 84, it was 75 a month. And when I moved out in 90, three it was a hundred dollars a month so that actually facilitated some great stuff during my college years because i was on they didn't have a special budget for that so my financial aid was on campus which was at the end of each year i'd have a surplus of like two or three grand from having only paid 75 dollars a month and i took advantage of that 
most of the years I was there, I took like two or three months and traveled. I went to South America for three months. I went to China, India for three months. I went to Asia, Africa. And just like every, every summer, I like just kind of picked a place and had this budget from the surplus. And, but moving in there, my brother had just graduated. So I took his trailer and across the street from him was Jeff, who's been my best friend for going on 38 years now. And he and his buddies were graduate students in engineering and they would go play golf all the time frisbee golf and i kind of just jumped in with them and i love it i love it it's it's taken off i mean it's it's kind of crazy i'm i'm sure you've seen it the the course i play at here in in huntsville my favorite course was established in 76 it's one of the first so ones then. that's early yeah it's one of the they they talk about it being the oldest or the second oldest, the the story that I, that keeps getting repeated here is, it's the second oldest, but the oldest was was torn down. It was like in California somewhere. It's no, it's still there, Pasadena. The, the first one, there's Pasadena. the old okay yeah, in Pasadena. There's the old oak something that's like in the mid seventies. Yeah, a couple places claim. I think a couple places claim the oldest. You know. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, where El Paso likes to claim it's one of the oldest cities by some calculation you know it's got to you've got to qualify that a couple different ways before it it gets to count um but yeah um but it's you know what i love i started playing in college and um with buddies university of idaho i went to i i went to a, a small college up in up in moscow idaho but same town that the university of idaho is in and and we uh they had a course that was like the one you were talking about where there, it was just, there's the you know hole one was a tree and hole two was the statue and hole three was a light pole, you know, and, and, but it was tons of fun and we had a blast. We'd take our whole families when we were young and we had young families and, uh, eventually they shut that down because it was like, Hey, we can't have Frisbees flying all over, you know, these, the admin lawn <laughs> where people are walking. So, so yeah. Um, but it was when, when I got back, you know, when I got here and got some friends here that are into it, it's just, it's, um, it's cheap. Okay. I mean, that's a, that's an appeal. Um, it's not nearly the time commitment that like something like golf is. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a different culture. It's a laid back kind of chill, you know, vibe. So I, I love it. Yeah. Well, we share that for sure. Yeah. And we've got now, I've got a, a couple, I've got a, a 15 year old who's big into it and, um, and a 13 year old who's starting to get into it. And a little, my, my, uh, my six year old boy is now like, he's, he's, he's following us around and throwing discs. So he's, he's pretty into it too. So we'll yeah, see. it's, it's coming of age. I mean, it's here to stay and the numbers, just the membership numbers and the number of people that play, the number of courses is exploding, especially this last year. As far as COVID friendly sports, you're outside. You don't have to get close to anybody. You know, it's, it's really seeing, seeing it, seeing a huge bloom. Yeah. I, th- I think I read that, um, that Paul McBeth signed like a $10 million contract. 10 year, $10 million. Yeah. I heard that too. It's crazy. That's crazy. That's like real money. That's crazy. So, okay. So, so, so that's really been a part of your life since, uh, since pre medical school, which is pretty cool. So you went into practice and you ended up doing, you talked about doing, um, 
about 25 years in, in emergency medicine and you were doing, um, mostly you said kind of medium size facilities, small, medium. Yeah. Was there a reason? I mean, was that just kind of a coincidence or, or was that kind of a, uh, a focus that you found or a niche that you found that you really liked? Well, it was, I didn't, you know, like Asheville has a big hospital system, but they require residencies in emergency medicine. So I didn't, I don't have that. So that kind of limits some of the, most of the bigger places do that. So I worked a lot of the smaller places around. Yeah. That's great. And uh, you know, yeah, that's smaller common. places at night and I tend to work nights and, you know, getting paid to sleep doesn't, doesn't hurt. Yeah. Pretty laid back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's a sweet gig. So, um, and, and, and you're also kind of on your own though. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the flip side, right? Is you're, you, you get to sleep, you know, but, but you're also kind of, you're kind of the only, you're kind of the last line of defense, right? Yeah. I mean, when it hits the fan, you're it, you know, and where I work most of the time, which is out Western North Carolina, you know, we'd have, your people's survival depend on the weather. You know, it's like, it's a bad day to get really sick. The chopper's not flying. That may be it. That may be the difference. Can't fly them out. No specialty care, no STEMIs, no stroke care. It's like, you hope for, you hope for the, you hope for the best weather. And it's like, what's the, what's the, uh, the best treatment? Jet fuel is the best treatment. Get them on the helicopter and get them out of here. Yeah. Crazy. So, so, um, you know, th this year, this last year with COVID and everything has been a really hard year on a lot of emergency medicine doctors. Um, were you mostly working full time or were you doing kind of more like locum tenens type gigs or how were you sort of set up in terms of your, your employment kind of pre pre COVID? Um, full time at this small hospital in Western North Carolina, with um, one other hospital a little bit closer to home that I would pick up shifts every month or two, but I was contracted for for yeah, ten so little, shifts yeah. at the main place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then COVID hit, and and I don't know how it affected you, but I know for a lot of emergency physicians around the country, and especially we're working with locum tenens doctors. Um, you know, the bottom kind of fell out uh, at a lot of ERs around the country. Just volumes went down the tubes and, um, and they, they came back, um, they bounced back as soon as the hospitals realized they need to stop telling people to stay away <laughs> and, uh, and started trying to get people to come back. But, but I haven't seen very many places where the volumes are back anywhere. Well, anywhere closer than maybe 80% of what they were pre COVID. Um, how did, how did, uh, did COVID affect you and, and your, your shop? Yeah, we saw we saw the dip. I mean, a year ago, um, pretty much, you know, starting February, March, we started to see the decline, and that's that stuck through most most of the year. Um, there was a little bit of upticks when we had a little bit of increase from just basically COVID patients or COVID scare patients, and um, so it affected me that it was slower at work. I mean, I didn't lose any shifts or lose any opportunities um, because of it, luckily. But we we noticed it for sure. The hospital felt it for sure. But, you know, I was contracted through a, a staffing company and 
rate rate was set and we didn't have productivity RVU based stuff. It was all just strict hourly. So, so, um, so what, what changed though, for sure, for a lot of the country, you know, in addition to that dip was, was, you know, one of the places a lot of those patients went is, is telemedicine. And, you know, for Sycamore, we felt like, Hey, this is something that, that, uh, that we need to figure out how to get into. We've got a lot of doctors who are hurting, um, for work right now, frankly. And, uh, but also it, it felt like this is the future of medicine or at least the future of a lot of aspects of medicine. I, I don't, I don't see the toothpaste getting put back into the tube, you know, that, that kind of the cat's out of the bag. And, and, and finally, you know, this is sort of the, the moment where telemedicine is really getting its day in the sun. And, uh, we've just seen, we've seen, um, we've seen it grow like crazy. And, um, and our doctors have, have really been excited and thrilled and, and it kind of fits with an emergency medicine lifestyle, you know? Um, so you, you got into telemedicine this, this last year too, right? Yep. Yep. Starting in the fall, um, November, basically, I started making a switch and really aggressively going after positions and trying to see if I could recreate, um, you know, full-time income based on the different jobs. And, and it's been, you know, I'm still building, you know, some of the, some of the stuff is a, a slow build. Um, but Sycamore has been great. I, I mean, I, I have two positions, two of my main positions are through, through you guys. Can you tell, can you tell us a little bit more about sort of the different categories or buckets of things? Sure. I have one, um, one position that's, um, does a lot of, um, testing, genetic testing and, um, DME stuff where they screen the patients and get patients that are looking for different DMEs or different testing or treat or some other treatments as well. And they get pre-screened and then I get onto a queue and I can go in when I have time and work my way down the queue, contact the patient, do the paperwork and get paid per case for that. And then, um, one of the other opportunities is a per hour text based only company, um, through you guys that is, is that one is, is unique because it's per hour. It's not per case. So, so, so I check in, I, I schedule, I have, I'm scheduled to work these hours this day and I check in and then there's a queue of patients to see and they track your productivity and they have a minute, they kind of have an average and they post that and they, they, they make you aware of where you are compared to the average and how many patients you're seeing. And I have the other case, another one that's um, based video and phone calls per case. And that, that one is with not a lot of involvement other than just support and providing cases and keeping things maintained. And that one, the, yeah, patient satisfaction, especially this one because it's on video and phone. The texting one, you know, people say thank you, thank you, but you don't get the real f feel from it because you're not talking to them. It's You're right, it's not going back. And people that, like, in the past had a urinary tract infection, they would get in their car, drive to the ER, sit in the waiting room on average for two hours, 
get back, sit another half an hour to see a doctor, get their urine, wait another hour for that to come back, come back and say, yes, okay, you actually know what you're talking about. You do have a UTI. Here's a prescription and here, get your bill for $2,000 and go home. Now call, call Tele XYZ and say, hey, I have a UTI. Okay. Do you have this, this, and this? I've had it before. I know I have blah, blah, blah. What's your pharmacy? Boom. Two minutes later, they're on their way to the pharmacy to pick up their medicine. And they're like, oh my God, it's a miracle. They're just, just no going, no going back. Yeah, totally. Well, we, we had a, we had a physician on a couple episodes ago who started a direct primary care. And that model just sounds so refreshing. Um, in the same way that, that what you're describing is refreshing from a patient experience standpoint, because you're, you're really changing the incentive structure from, maximizing the number of procedures and the number of tests and the number of visits that you queue up to, to actually with a DPC, really the incentive is to have healthy patients, the healthier they are, the the less they need you and the more you can sign up to your practice. And, and in your model and in, in these models where it's, where it's typically um, you're incentivized by volume, you, you really want to get to the bottom of things and help people out quickly and, and, uh, and you're really incentivized to do that. So, so from a patient standpoint, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine myself <laughs> lining up, you know, we've got a big family. So every time we take the kids to the, to the pediatrician, it's, it's a whole day affair. I mean, it's, it's brutal, right? So, yeah. I mean, downside, I, I wonder about, um, you know, you know, quality control because the telemedicine world, you take, you kind of take it face value with the patients are telling you, you don't do the confirmation, confirmatory tests. I mean, from, from what I'm seeing, the 80% of the people I'm seeing, I'm seeing, you know, I'm doing maybe in four hour, four hour shift, I'm seeing, or six hour shift, I'm seeing 60 people a day maybe on, on two different platforms or something in six hours. And 80% of that is bladder infection, sinus infection, you know, pharyngitis, ear infection. And you take the, you take the patient's word. Yeah. My, I've had my ears hurting me. We're not looking in there. We're not looking at um, the eardrum to confirm it. Uh, otitis. You're not, I mean, we try to look in the throat, you know, semi-successful, especially when you get them to send picture, they send you, send me a picture of your throat and you get a picture of the couch. It's like, okay. Yeah. Great. The cool thing is that we all do have these devices on us, you know, that, that have cameras and lights and, and heart rate monitors. And, you know, there's all kinds of interesting, um, opportunities there. So I'm sure, I'm sure as, as in the remote patient monitoring world and the devices that, that have, uh, that have come out are pretty, you know, that's that's a pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing progress in that world, right? And patients are, you know, they they sh- they show up to telemedicine and say, "Here's a picture of my home urinalysis test that I bought at CVS," and they'll show you the positive. It's positive. It's like, oh wow, great, thank you. Let's let's get more people to do that. Well, so you know, one of the things that um, that I know is important or has has been a challenge for some folks are getting into telemedicine is just the, is the number of state licenses. Have you run into that challenge? You talked about getting on some of these platforms and, and they're not the queue being really slow. 
Um, how does how does the how does your state licenses sort of play into that? It's huge. I mean, now maybe not as much as in a year from now, because right now there are a couple dozen states that are kind of open licenses. If you have an unrestricted, undisciplined record in your own state, you can get license, a temporary privilege even in many states now. But that's going to go away, I think, probably by the end of the year. That'll be gone. So I've kind of started – one of the companies that I'm working for has um, offered to f- – cover the expenses of any permanent licenses I want to get. So over the last, I started in December and I just had North Carolina. And then just now I'm finally completing my first round of five more licenses, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and uh, a couple more. Okay. And then now I started a second round, second round just last week, getting California, Florida, and Arizona. And I'm not going through the 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 compact thing and I'm not using Veridot. I'm kind of doing it all just individually and manually and I'll tell you what it is. It's a lot of work. I mean, every every state wants verification from every other state you've had plus $50 and they all want you know direct verifications from your med school, your residency, you know, national boards, all this stuff. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of doing it just grit every day when I have some stuff, just grinding it out, making the calls, sending the emails, notarizing fingerprints, photographs. It's like on all of them, but I'm working on, I mean, right now, like on one of my platforms, I, I have count, not counting, we're counting all of them. The temporary stuff I, I'm, I'm seeing patients from 23 states right now. So, and I just got Texas permanent last week. And I'll tell you what, after getting Texas and Illinois, those are two of the latest ones I got. They have, boom, all of a sudden my cues are like way more patient. So it's going to make a big difference. Well, Texas is one of those states that, that um, they're not in the compact and they're traditionally pretty slow and pretty difficult to get. So, so yeah, I imagine that's a, that's an asset. There was kind of a gold rush. I want to say like, you probably remember this five years ago or so where everybody was trying to get a license in Texas because the rates in Texas were really great for emergency medicine. I remember seeing advertised jobs and seeing high rates and I, and I had no interest in moving, moving there. But as far as for telemedicine, it's good. A lot of volume, a lot of volume. Florida too. Florida's huge. Yeah, Florida's huge. That's awesome. Well, so um so what other I mean you're you're um so you're doing telemedicine. Sounds like that's become and, and is that now full time? Are you doing that are, are you doing that exclusively now? Yeah. I haven't been back to the ER since November. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. And it's 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 a struggle. How has that impacted your life? I mean, is that a is that a is that a good a good change for you? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, like I, I used to leave to go to work because my hospital was two hours away and I had an apartment out there and I would drive two hours, do two to four nights and drive back home every week or two. I mean, I would do that pretty much every week. So I don't do that at all anymore. I'm not staying awake at night anymore. So it's it's a it's a big change. So. 
And I, and it's good. It's a good change. My wife's a little sick sick of me now. She's like, I used to like it when you went away. <laughs> She's very free to get out. Yeah. She goes, maybe I maybe I didn't yeah. mind you leaving sometimes. Right. Right. <laughs> Whoops. What? Sorry. What? Uh. I, this is one of those things that's always fascinating me, and and I'm and maybe I'm just a wuss, and I'm because I've never had to do it, but but I'm 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 just fascinated by how physicians switch from days to nights, and like how, like is that does that. Is that something that you just, there's just a switch you can flip or, I mean, is it, it seems like it'd be brutal. It always worked for me. It just always worked for me. I mean, I mean, it worked better than doing days. If I'm doing 12 hour shifts and I'm doing seven to seven, if I'm doing a day shift, I'm up at six, I go to work at seven, I work, starts out slow by the afternoon and evening, it starts crunching and you're struggling just to get out of there. And it's like more, 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 more. Get to seven, exhausted, starving, get home at seven, seven thirty, get something to eat. It's eight, eight thirty. And it's like, it's time to start thinking about going to bed. There's no day versus on a night shift. Most of the places I work would have on average two or three hours of downtime. A night. I would get two or three hours, sometimes five or six hours of sleep. So my day would be up at, you know, nap during the day, up at three, have a couple hours, play some putting, throw some, throw some disc, go for a run, you know, have two hours in the daytime in the afternoon, go to work. It's pick up from the day guy who's like crunch, but come in fresh and clean it all up and, and wind down by one or two. Clean the department out, have some downtime, maybe sleep, maybe sleep all the way through. And the beauty was if it was slow and I went to sleep at three or four and someone didn't come in till close to seven, the staff knew not to bother me and I could sleep till nine or 10. And the new doc would come in. I'm in the back in the call room. I get five or six hours of sleep. I go home, eat some breakfast, get another three or four and then have an afternoon. You know, even three or four days in a row, I have days of it's like that worked for me. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Man, I I I could see that. I'm I'm um I'm the the disruption of the sleep pattern, you know, to me it seems like it would just it would just wreck me, but um but as you describe it in that kind of setting, I mean, I, I can see how the you know, you, you, it's a, it's potentially a better just a better lifestyle. Yeah. You, I mean, I get up, I get, get some more. exercise, I'm in the sun and Yeah. And when I was you got waking hours with yeah. the family too, right? Right. When I'm when I'm when I'm off, well, I would I would usually be away, but um, and at night when it was busy, you know, I don't drink coffee at all. So I worked, you know, twenty five years of nights with no coffee, and just if it was slow, I would rest, and if it was busy, then the adrenaline of the work is enough to keep me awake and like I'm not gonna, not gonna fall asleep in the middle of a code or something. You know, it's like, it's pretty high intent, pretty high intensity. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, that's great. Uh, so you've, you've done, you've done the full-time ER thing. The, the commute sounds like that was rough. And, um, and, but I do, I do think the nights, that's a really great sort of tip. Um, and I've, I've, I know not every, every setting has got that kind of, um, you know, th that kind of workflow, but, but, uh, definitely in those kind of small to midsize facilities, that's, 
Right. That sounds like a great, small, a great way to do it. Pretty much the small yeah. ones. Once you get into medium, yeah. then those those three-hour naps are pretty much non-existent, I think. Yeah, those don't happen anymore. So so um, we talked about some of your past, some of your side uh, projects. Are there other other things that you uh, you have occupied yourself with or other avocations that you've pursued outside of, uh, outside of the ER hobbies, passions, you mean? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of got into, um, Argentine tango 15 years ago. Okay. That was been crazy. Been super fun. It's the fun. How'd you get into that? Well, my wife was doing like some contra dancing and waltzing around here. And then they had an Argentine tango, workshop that she took and she started doing it and just loved it and she did it for five years before she she got me to do it i was i would have i I played ultimate frisbee locally and it was on the same night as ultimate frisbee i'm like i'm sure it's going to be fun honey but it's not going to be as fun as ultimate frisbee so for five years i didn't do it and then i got i had an injury and i couldn't play ultimate and it's like all right i guess i'll go and i went to a class and a performance and I just got blown away because it's so – it's not ballroom tango, which is a um, kind of a really up artificial – you know, with steps and it's a whole different scene. It's it's an improvised – it's a super subtle improvised dance where everyone learns like a vocabulary and a method of communication, like a language almost of leading and following where it's – every move is step by step and you lead a step – and you follow as the follower takes that step until you know where they are. And then you do the next step at, and on and on and on, step by step. You can do whatever at any point. You can do whatever moves. Or, and, and I remember watching a performance and they're doing all kinds of leg flips and things and gancho, all different things. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then it's like, you know, that's improvised, right? I'm like, what? I was like, wait a minute. What did you say? And it's like... Oh, so that's, it's just changed it completely because it's like, it's not just going through a routine of steps that both people know and both people are doing on their own. It's a communication and a subtleness that's just been, it was crazy. So I started taking classes and I just like, you know, it's, you know, it's like, it's like playing disc golf, but the disc is a woman that's playing back with you. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's okay. what it's like. It's like a sport where it's like you're communicating at a, such a subtle level and it's an interaction and it's a conversation that's happening. And you can, you can dance with someone you've never met who's well-trained and skilled and have like a three-minute experience. It's just like super subtle communication and just like unbelievable. So we started doing that and we started going down to Argentina and went down to Argentina twice a year for two or three weeks and I would dance. I would do lessons for maybe three or four hours a day and dance for six or seven hours a day at night, every day. So 10 hours of dancing for like three weeks straight every day. Oh my gosh. That would keep you fit. It's not cardiovascular, but it's, uh, it keeps you active and keeps you happy. So that kind of, that's been on hold here for a year and a half. No more trips to Argentina and, but it's you know there's light there's a light at the end it's a light out there it's coming it's coming back it'll be one of the last things to come back because you're you know you're like this with somebody else 
That's really cool. I was thinking you compared to disc golf or tried to draw a connection to disc golf. I I was thinking about, you know, I, I play music and it reminds me of jamming, you know, just jamming with, with, with a band where it's like that. Yeah. Where, right. Where, where, you know, kind of when a chord change is coming and you got to feel for the rhythm and, and, and people are, you know, the subtle kind of, you know, nods and, and looks and things that, that, yeah, that's really cool. It's like that, but you're physically connected and you're, you're like, you know, you're, you're connected in your breathing that on that level, like, cause you're chest to chest and like you, f- you feel their breath and you're, they feel your breath and it's connected to the whole, all the movements and everything. So it's, it's, it's like partner yoga. It's kind of like partner yoga to, to music or something. Cause you're really connected. Yeah. So, so you guys would go down, um, to Argentina is, is, uh, is, were you entering in competitions or was it, no, was it it just social, purely recreational, social, social dancing. You go, you go into a, walk into a dance hall, has a couple hundred people from probably 25 or different countries. And just, and the, 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 the whole, the whole invitation process is super subtle. It's it's all done by by eye contact. There's no walking up and talking to someone and asking them to dance. It's it's called the cabaseo, and you can be across the room, and the man initiates it by making eye contact with a woman and just like you can be across uh, literally across the room, and the women are kind of just sitting there looking. And if they don't want to dance with you, they won't look at you. That's that's a no. That's it. And if you get their eye and you see them and you give them a little nod. And then they give you a little nod and then they sit there because, you know, they have to confirm. They don't know that you're not nodding to the person next to them because it's across the room. So then you you get up and you walk to them and you walk up to them and they stand up and you dance with them. And, you know, you otherwise you look at them and you try to they'll just be like, no. And it, save, it kind of saves face, you know. Allows them to deny you without really denying you because, but the pro- the problem is <laughs> that I had was when they don't see you and they are saying no to you, it looks exactly the same. <laughs> so if you if you want to convince yourself, well maybe they so maybe they'll maybe they don't see me, maybe they don't see me, and it's like you make a fool out of yourself. They see you, they're just saying no. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I'm sure that's a, I'm sure there's a lot of good life lessons that are taught through that experience too. It is. It is. Tango is really a, a you know, a lesson in life too. People dance who they are and it's, it's really connected. Wow. So you mentioned, you also mentioned, uh, I think, uh, running earlier as well. Is that a, is that another, another pursuit of yours? It was, I haven't been doing that much lately. But I like I like a nice I mean mountains out here a nice trail run in Bed Creek in the National Forest with a dunk in the in the pond afterwards ice cold water that's that'll get you going any day. I went through a pretty um, a season there for a couple of years where I was big big into running and and it's been a couple of years since I since I was I really got back into it but it's it was a it was a weird weird thing man it sort of just grabbed a hold of me and kind of got addicted to it and couldn't stop. And it, you know, the problem with, with running is it took a, it took a, it took so much time, you know, um, when you get into running long distances, it, you know, you start, start takes taking an hour or, or more. And, uh, and so then it kind of becomes, then it starts becoming more intrusive, but, um, and it's not typically super social. At least it wasn't for me. I'd always kind of go out alone. So, 
so yeah, I'm not getting, I'm not getting any skinnier, uh, playing frisbee golf, but I am spending time with friends and my kids. So it's kind of a, it's been a good trade off. That's a, you know, natural evolution of life. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, that's probably true. I got one more thing I just want to add that what I'm excited about happening that's kind of connected to the telemedicine topic is that tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, we're getting, taking ownership of a, of a sprinter van that we had built out as a camper. And, um, we're going to start, we're going to start traveling. Um, we're doing some short trips and then a trip across the country to see family that I haven't seen in, in a year and a half. And, um, I got a sig, a, I got a I got a cell phone signal booster in there that moves cell phones fifty cell phone towers fifty miles closer takes you from like one bar to three bars, so it's like I can work from anywhere now with this van. So we're gonna hit the road, put in my hours, and it's 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 really gonna be a be a, a new opportunity. That's another common ground here, Doctor Jaffe. My wife and I last year uh, bought a uh, a camper and. Uh, and we started, so we've got, we've got six kids, right? So we've got to figure out how to move six kids and a camper without taking multiple kids. Ages. 16, almost 16. It'll be 16 in a couple of weeks down to three. And she's pregnant and she's pregnant with number seven. Oh, so we're actually, God. we're actually about to be, uh, you are, be- you are a glutton. <laughs> That's true. We are. It's very true. So yeah. And I don't, and and that's not the most of of my siblings. So I've got I've got I'm one of five, and my my mom and dad have 29 grandkids now. Um, so you can do the math. We're 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 a prolific bunch, to say the least. But yeah, but the but the camper was it was same kind of deals. Like I'm working from home, you know, have computer, have cell phone, we'll travel, you know. So it's like let's give this a shot, see what happens. And, um, it was great. We had a ton of fun and we've, we've now taken a bunch of trips and we love just being able to go, Hey, let's just go grab the camper and let's head out for a few days and check out this new place or it's really cool. It's really cool. So, so, and, and, you know, that's, it's, you know, doing it with a ton of kids, it, you know, adds another layer of complexity that you guys sounds like you won't have. Um, so, so it's even, even that much more kind of freedom and flexibility. So I think that's going to be a, a ton of fun. Yeah. I'm super excited just to pull up at the beach and pull out the, you know, do my shift, hook up my hotspot to my phone and knock out beautiful. my hours and be like, I'm at the beach. Yeah. It's beautiful. No, it's so cool. Yeah. Our, um, our, uh, VP of operations, Andrew is, uh, is looking at doing the same thing. He, he sent me a website. I can't remember what it's called, but, but for, um, for retrofitting sprinters to make them into, uh, or, 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 uh, maybe it's for transits is one of the two, but making them into cool campers. So is this, is this a diesel rig? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a six speed automatic Mercedes. Sweet. Uh, That's a great motor. V6, V6 turbo. That's a great motor. It's got 70,000 miles on it. Oh yeah. You just, you haven't even 20, broken it in yet. 2012, but a brand new, all the camping stuff is brand new. I was, I've been so, looking at one for a couple of years, just like what's out there and looking at yeah. videos of all the retrofits. And finally I'm like, oh, I'm going to start looking a little closer. And I found one that was like, oh man, this, here's a 20 minute video of his last build. He does like four or five a year and oh, it's yeah. solar, 300 milli, 300 amps and 300 lithium battery and yeah. like just hot water, everything off the grid. 
you know, with the solar. And I'm like, uh, where is, I finally figured out, okay, this is it. This, this guy's doing it right. Here's a list of all the things. Here's his last build. Where is this guy? 15 minutes away in Asheville. No way. I love yeah. it. I love it. That's perfect. It's like I call him. Hey, come on over. Take a look at her. Check him out. And we took her for oh. a test. T- took her for a test drive, and it was like that. That car it drives like a car on ramp. The V six turbo. It's just like so much pickup. Yeah. Yeah. And power. A, yeah. And it's like we're starting to build it now. So it's like we picked out the <clears> colors <throat> and the light. We want the fans here. We want the plugs here. We want this here. We want this here. That's so. We fun. got the custom input and. Delivery it. tomorrow or day after tomorrow. So that's going to be so fun, man. Well, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna get to you're gonna get to try out all these new frisbee golf courses all over the country. Yeah, that's the plan. Travel across the country, hit golf tournaments and tango festivals. I love it. So, are you just you know? Last question. So, are you? Do you have a brand loyalty when it comes to your discs? Are you kind of an equal opportunity thrower? No, I not really. I like I like lob. I, I got my water bottle here. Oh yeah, you okay. Go. You got your Innova water bottle. Yep. Yeah, um, but I like I, I have a mixed bag for sure. Yeah, you're right-handed. Yeah, right-handed, mostly backhand. But i i can I can I can get a forehand out there, three hundred feet maybe. Three hundred. Okay. Okay. So are you a? Um, so I, I've kind of recently really gotten to where I can throw like a really overstable disc and 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 put and kind of control my Anheuser and flex it around a tree. And I've found that it seems like as I've gotten better, I like an, an over just a pure overstable disc a lot more than than when I was newer to the sport. I, I wanted more flippy discs. That's um, funny. I'm the opposite now. Really? I'm yeah. like I'm wanting understable discs that hmm. I can throw on a hyzer and they'll flip up and they'll get a little bit of an S curve and then come back at the end. Because rather than just forcing the the stable discs over and getting it that way, I feel like I don't get I get I get I'll get more I'm less likely to get it to actually get up and stay longer than with a kind of a flippy disc that you put on and a lot of hyzer and flip up. Yep. Interesting. I just saw a um you know Simon Lazat, does that name ring a bell? Of course, I know yeah. all this. Okay. I watch okay. all this shit. I watch okay. all this shit. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, Simon, you see that disc? So, I think it Crush, was like Di- Crush Brothers. Crush yes. Brothers, right? Yes. Him and yes. E- him and Eagle. Yes. So I okay. So I I met Eagle. So this is crazy. My son was like, Dad, or somebody told me he saw that Eagle McMahon. Um, for those listening, they're bored by this. Um, Eagle McMahon's one of the top, probably ten at the, you know, probably top five. Easily, you know, I mean, Easily. he's yeah. Yeah. incredible. Top he's five. he started playing really, really young. Um, just has a, just has an enormous arm. Can just rip these things, these discs a mile. But he, um, somebody said he, he keeps posting pictures in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where I live. Like he's like at courses in Huntsville. Eagle and so, or Simon. Eagle, yeah, Eagle McMahon. Okay. So my uh, so one of my buddies texts me and goes, man, I just saw Eagle at the course, and I was like, which course? He's like, this one, the one that's like two minutes from your house. I was like, what? I was like, or he didn't say I just. He said, yeah, I saw him. You know, I missed him. He was at the course. And I was like, man, what a huge, what a huge opportunity. Is like we could have like tried to bribe him with beers and and gotten him to like teach us how to putt or something, you know? And he's like, oh, well, you can go back. He's still there. I'm sure. I was like, oh, it was like right now. 
So my son and I just darted out of the house and ran down to the car and drove over and chased him down. And I'm sure just completely weirded him out. He was like, you could tell he was like, oh gosh, who are these guys? And we, and we were like, Hey man. And he was like, yeah, you could tell he was like, he had his camera and he was like with his girlfriend. You could tell he was practicing. And, and so, uh, we tried not to be too, too, uh, crazy, but he did, he did sort of hurry up and start kind of leaving. And, and my son was like, man, I really want an autograph. I was like, just go run down there. So he took a little disc with him and a little marker and ran down there with a, with a, with a pen and, yeah. and had Eagle sign it. So yeah, I Be- guess better him, better him, better him than you. Yeah, no, no, for sure. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, I mean, uh, I guess his girlfriend lives in Huntsville, so he's here a oh, lot, okay. which is kind of sweet. Cool. So here we guess, go. Yeah. So maybe we'll get another we, uh, chance. We had, you know, Nate Sexton. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he lived he lived here for about a year, so he would play the local events, and we'd be on cards with him wow. and watch him throw. And That's so cool. A couple yeah. of months ago, Paige, Paige Pierce came by for our, one of our putt nights. and No played. way. No way. Yeah, that was fun. That's rad. She's amazing. I, uh, so there's a, so I was, I mentioned Simon Lazat because he has a disc. I guess one of these companies, Latte or Dynamic Disc, I think sent him tilt? a box. Yeah, the Tilt. So have you thrown yeah. one of these yet? No, I've seen it though. I don't oh, have man. Any much interest. I, I totally uh, want I guess one. It's it's just, just a, I guess it's just a meat hook, just total meat hook. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these guys can turn it over, but I don't think I would be able to turn it over I at don't all. Think, yeah. No. It's crazy. It sounds crazy, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, it's just a crazy, crazy disc. I don't really know how to throw a lot of the like funky, like the tomahawks and the grenades and all the weird, the weird, you know, unusual shots. My son's kind of into learning how to do all those, but I haven't really figured them out. So I figured that, 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 that might be a, a cheater disc for for uh, you can just throw it like a normal disc, but get it to do kind of more of those. Get it to just dive. Yeah, get it to just kind of dive. So yeah, well, that's fun. Well, this has been a ton of fun, and and I'm really glad that uh, that we that you made some time for us um, just to kind of learn about your your story and your background and some of your side uh, interests. And um, it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm excited to hear and see kind of what. Where these, uh, where you go with the sprinter, and what kind of, what kind of, uh, what kind of trouble you can get into with that thing? Yeah, I'm excited too. So uh, come on up, you know, stay in the Airbnb and yes. hit some courses. That sounds like a ton of fun. We will totally do it. We we went to um, we a couple of years ago when my wife was pregnant. I guess it's been a couple, a number of, like three years now. But when my wife was pregnant with our last kid, we we decided to go on a little retreat up there and. I used to uh, be a concert promoter. So when we lived in the Pacific Northwest, it was a side job, but I, I put on concerts. And um, one of our favorite bands, um, a band called Bonnie Vare, was playing. And uh, th- that weekend, we just kind of, as we were driving up, looked up like who's going to be playing. And I know, I know Bonnie Vare's agent. So I texted him and said, Hey, is there, is there any room on the guest list? Or, you know, is there any way you can get me? Because it was sold out. Any way you can get me some tickets? He goes, oh, yeah, I got you, man. And so we got there. I thought these tickets were going to be – so what's the big like theater? Uh, you might be able to tell Orange me. Pe- Orange Peel or Diana Wortham or Civic Center. Might have been the Civic Center. It was pretty – it was probably 5,000 seats. Like downtown, major downtown. Yeah. Yeah, round. Yeah, that's the – Yeah, there was, a, there, was a, there was a second yes. story, you know, balcony. Yeah, the Civic, Civic Center is the biggest one in town. Okay. 
So I think it was there. And, and we walked in, got our beers, you know, and, uh, we had our tickets. And I thought, I just figured this guy gave me some nosebleed tickets and I was, we were happy. We were delighted. So we start walking in and I, and I'm, I'm, I turn around and start heading up to the nosebleeds and, and there's, uh, there's the, the lady, you know, the folks that show you kind of to your seats and, so do you need to know, you know, do you need help finding your seat? And I was like, no, I think I can find it. It's probably just up here somewhere. And she goes, let me look at those. She goes, oh no, those are down there. I was like, oh really? Like where? And she goes, hey, let me show you. Walks me all the way down to like the fourth row. It was like, like, but dead center. And it was like the perfect seat where if you were any closer, you'd be craning your neck back. But we were just far enough to where it was like just line of sight. Just, it was so awesome. So yeah, that guy definitely, uh, I sent, I sent a, a, a fusive, uh, thank you letter but it was a it was a it was an amazing show we had a lot of fun so yeah we've got some good memories cool well speaking of thank yous speaking of thank yous thank you for all your support and helping me create this yeah this lifestyle because i mean half or more of the jobs that i'm doing are through you guys and i i don't i don't think i would have been able to do it without without all all your support and help so so thanks yeah well absolutely well it's 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 exciting for us to 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 hear the progress and to see that, that we're able to, we're able to help. This is what we're Sycamore, you know, our, our vision, the whole reason this company was founded was we wanted to try to help address physician burnout. We wanted to try to help physicians have better, healthier lives. Um, something that, that our founder who's an ER doctor had just seen far too much of. And so, so, you know, there's all these companies out there that, 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 um, that may, um, pay lip service to, uh, to work-life balance and taking care of physicians. But, but at the end of the day, it, it, it feels like a lot of them fall short. So we've been just trying to, to kind of relentlessly pursue how can we actually make an impact and, and help physicians. And, uh, it's exciting to see that, that, that we've actually, at least in one case, we've, we've been able to, to, to add some value. So thanks. As far as I'm concerned, mission accomplished. Yeah. Well, thanks. Lifestyle change successful so, so that's thanks. awesome well I, I keep please keep in touch i'm i'm eager to hear about the the next uh, adventures and uh, and we'll definitely connect uh next time we're we're thinking of coming that way all right sounds good larson thank you, you take yes care. sir have a great rest of your day all right okay you too right. bye loved this episode of branch out by sycamore be sure to subscribe rate and leave a review it's very much appreciated thank you